fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to another episode of FGGBT. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Dan, great to be here. I'm so excited for part two. I think as fun as part one was, this is the exciting stuff for me because um, of the physics involved. I agree. I mean, I think we re we revealed some incredible secrets in the first part, but this is really the big thing. This is the thing people want to talk about. How does Santa get around the world so quickly? But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's talk to our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siepser. Ben, where are you recording from this week? Well, you guys said it. I am here in Santa's hangar checking out his Kringle 3500 reindeer power engine on his sleigh. I mean, I think that's incredible. That's a lot of power for one man to wield. So today we are talking about the big ride, the trip around the world itself, where Santa delivers presents to all the good little boys and girls of the world and coal to those who aren't so good. I got to tell you, Ben, I'm very jealous that you're experiencing this firsthand. I would love to be in Santa's sleigh. It's one of my dreams. Hopefully I'll be able to accomplish it before. Oh, it's on my bucket list, guys. Uh, but let's think about this trip for a second. The fact that he has pulled this off once is nothing short of miraculous. And the fact that he has pulled this off for hundreds of years, I mean, that is absolutely almost unbelievable. When you look at sports, Michael Jordan won six championships in eight years. That was considered inconceivable, and he's considered the greatest of all time. What does this say about Mr. Kringle? I mean, is he the holiday goat? I think this is a legitimate question we should answer before we get going here. Denon, what do you think about that? Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt in my mind at all, Dan. He is amazing. He's up there with the best of the best. You know, if we go sort of sports analogy, it's like he's the Yankees of holidays. Um, they are undoubtedly the most championships ever. And Santa's in that caliber, if uh, maybe even, dare I say, above that caliber. Uh, I, I agree with you completely. And I don't think any sports conversation is complete without the input of Ben Seepser, our sports anal analyst. Ben, what do you think about this? Well, I think, if anything, he's the Cal Ripken of uh, holidays. You know, he always shows up and he always does his job. The old Iron Man. That was a great one. I didn't even think about that. He is definitely the Cal Ripken. Uh, is it Cal? Is that short for Klaus? I don't know. We're going to find out later on. But let's... Okay, so Ben, you're in the speed. You're in the sleigh right now. Let's talk about sleigh speed because I think... Any conversation about Santa delivering presents around the world starts, it begins with how fast his sleigh is going. Uh, what did you come up with? So we know that Santa has to visit 250 million homes on Christmas Eve. And using time zones to his advantage, he has about 30 hours to do that entire trip. Now, because of that, using that three, 30 hours in 250 million homes, we can figure out that he has 400 microseconds per home. Now, to relate that to something we understand, a blink of an eye is, is about 150 milliseconds. You, he's visiting 300 homes per blink of an eye. From that, we can figure out how fast he's going. And he has to be traveling. He's experiencing accelerations of 3 billion Gs on the trip between each home and top speeds of 2.1 million miles per hour. Now, of course, he also has to get from the sleigh to the down the chimney and to the tree. And when he's doing that, he's going 341,000 miles an hour. So he is a very spry and fast man. And he's got a G-suit that is the best ever made. 
that's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, how did the physics on that hold up, Dennett? Well, you know, Dan, I'm on record for this already. For those who have followed my career, I did a whole YouTube video for UCI on the physics of Santa Claus. And I think I'm the first to point out, really, at the end of the day, this is why classical physics doesn't work for Santa Claus. Um, that is the correct classical calculation. I cannot fault anything that Ben just said. But Santa is either doing this relativistically, which is what I uh, claimed in my YouTube video, or perhaps, which I may convince the reader, the reader, I may convince the listener of by the end of our episode, that this may be fundamentally more quantum mechanical. I may have evolved my view, but I think general relativity and bending space and time is the only way to explain the transportation and, as we get to it, the toy delivery. You know, I think you're onto something there because, again, I, you know, I, I, in my head, I was doing some of those calculations. I think Ben's classical calculations are absolutely impeccable, but his TPH, his time per house, just seems impossibly fast. Now, we did an episode on uh, from the Star Trek Voyager on the Kremen ship, which exists outside of space and time, which is how it is able to navigate time streams. And I would imagine if something appears to the human eye to be going that fast, it must be at some point at some fundamental point manipulating space and time so I, I think I think that's what you're saying Dennis oh it's definitely what I'm saying and I think as we get into the details of the transportation vehicles and the delivery of toys you'll see how this all plays out very coherently I'm very excited to get there I think Denon's right that the, the classical approach doesn't make sense and that's why we see in one of the many documentaries like the Santa Claus uh, the kid clearly states that there's some sort of time thing going on when they're in the sleigh. And that's that's got to be how it's working out. Because as while those numbers sound fun to say, the classical approach does seem to break down. Well, they might be fun to say. They're incredibly fun to hear as well. That many G-forces on, <laughs> that many miles per hour is pretty incredible to think about. Um, now, I will tell you something. Now, Prep and Landing, we talked about it. I don't, I don't want to go so far as to call it, it a documentary, but I think it's based on a true story because I believe that there must be some form, some prep crew, some people coming in, no matter whether he's operating out of space and time or not. I think you need people... Maybe not people, maybe elves, maybe some other life form on the ground, or maybe it's not, maybe it's a robot, I don't know. Um, but you need something on the ground prepping his landing so that he can get in and get out and achieve the incredible efficiency that we see here. I do like that idea, Dan, um, though I will, I will say, I think if you get relativistic and quantum, you might be able to work around that or they might be included in what's happening there. So there, there's a, a little give and take. There's a little extra room. I suspect what happened is early on he was traveling more classically where he didn't have to get to as many houses. Mm. And he did have that prep and landing team. As they evolve the technology and an ability to be more relativistic, maybe it's not needed. I don't know. That's just a theory I have. Well, I've, I've, I, on many occasions, I've talked about how much uh, human population is destroying human beings themselves. And one of the things, everyone listening to this, the excessive human population is now making Santa's job harder. Because as you mentioned, Denon, he was able to accomplish this with classical means a couple hundred years ago. And now he's got to go into, uh, you know, almost alien technology, really. I mean, the speeds that he's moving, they're so highly advanced. They, they appear to be magic. Uh, so, you know, let, let's give Santa a break here, guys. Let's, Let's reduce the uh, human population a little bit. What do you think? Due to all these relativistic powers, this can also explain why Santa always looks old. It's because he's experiencing a lot more time than normal because mm. of these crazy relativistic procedures he has to go through. 
<laughs> that is interesting. I was going to get to that later on. I, hang on to that thought because that is really fascinating. So if if we're when we're achieving these speeds, we got to talk about the vehicle itself. Now, from classic literature, you know the the great poem, um, "A Visit from Saint Nick." We we learn it's one of the first times we hear and see about uh, you know the sleigh and the eight reindeer. You know everyone knows them by names. So we've got a sleigh. We got the propulsion. Uh, the propulsion being the reindeers themselves. I don't know if antlers provide lift, but I'm guessing. Ben, you being our propulsion expert, you can probably take a crack at this first. Yeah, so, well, antlers probably, well, some antlers could uh, could uh, provide lift. The the very round antlers of a reindeer, probably not, but like a moose antler probably could. But uh, as we're saying, <laughs> Turned properly, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a reindeer, it. not a moose. <laughs> so, right. so we're probably, probably out of luck there. I think what I really like is the the uh, elf solution to this, that there's really a Christmas cheer-powered rocket on the bottom of the sled, and that's how uh, Santa is uh, managing to get where he needs to go every night these days, rather than relying on just the, the pulling power of the reindeer themselves. Well, what I like about it, actually, and I like Ben's comment now, um, Elf is taking place in the modern world. But Dan, you've mentioned the history of this a couple of times and how long he's been Santa Claus, right? When he started out, he may have actually been doing this by land delivery. That mm. may have been possible, mm-hmm. right? And so that's why you start with the classic reindeer and sleigh. Um, and then as I always talk about with any flying technology for whether any it's a superhero or Santa Claus, you're always getting lift and and then propulsion, right? And, and you're forced forward. For Santa, I'm wondering if his first solution was sort of a hot air balloon type one, hmm. right? That they redesigned the sleigh to be sufficiently lighter than air. And then the reindeer running along in the air just had to generate, um, you know, the thrust. And the sleigh itself was the lift. And then over time, as he had to go even faster and farther, then you add in the rocket engines. So I, I think what we've seen in the course of Santa's lifetime mm-hmm. is an evolution of the technology. I think that that's exactly right. And then this goes back to the point both of you made in our previous episode. And if you haven't listened to it, I recommend you go back because you're missing out on lots of Santa stuff here. But just this idea that Santa and his team, I argue his team, his crack team of people uh, and surveillance and, and spies, to be perfectly honest with you, have been able to create and be on the cutting edge of technology. So what we are seeing, this magical flying sleigh, is actually, at the time, that was the first flying vehicles ever created. So at that point, they it looked like magic. It looked like something like that. Now, I would. You mentioned that the sleigh was lighter than air. Wouldn't the reindeers then have to be lighter than air? How would that be accomplished? Well, the sleigh. Look, a, a, a hot air balloon lifts me, and I'm not lighter than air. Right. So all I'm saying is the sleigh has enough lift to get the reindeer and the sleigh and Santa up, and then the reindeer provide the um, propulsion, the thrust. Okay. All right. All right. That makes sense. Um, you know, when we're talking about the sleigh, one of the other things that I think is absolutely critical here. Besides the propulsion, if we've cracked that nut, communication is very key here. You know, in in the uh, based on a true story prep and landing, we see this Christmas bridge where they're organizing everything. Um, in in my favorite documentary, Ernest Saves Christmas, you know, we see communication directly with with Santa Claus and with the elves. Um, you know, I, I think that in, in the Santa Claus as well, they do a whole uh, upgrade of his sleigh. I think that being in constant communication, knowing where, where the weather weather patterns are, I mean, that's really critical. I think uh, just having direct communication with a hub. That, I think, is quintessential to the success of Santa's ride. What do you think, Ben? 
Yeah, I I think it could certainly help. But I, one thing I wonder about is with the relativistic issues is how does the control tower actually stay synced up properly to Santa? Like that's mm. actually a really interesting physics problem of how do you have two things that are separated and not traveling together maintain a time synchroni- synchronization? Well, you know, I, I Ben, I like your question. I'm going to kind of go there a little bit, you know. We know already at a very, very low level, not even at the level of Santa's tech, um, our cell phones and the satellites are dealing with each other and the fact that they're having slightly different time because of the relativistic effects of the satellites at a different level of gravity and going at a different speed. Um, so Santa's just that much more advanced than us, I think. And, and whatever um, manipulation of space and time is happening at the sleigh, um, you know, it's kind of... You're right. The challenge of the tech is to design mission control so it can link with it. Um, it's, you know, to refer to some previous episodes, it's just like anytime you have Star Trek or Star Wars where they're having to communicate or track or deal with things in hyperspace. Um, it's the same problem um, for Santa and his mission and control is communicating through that way. Um, and you're, so you're right, Ben. That's exactly, I think, a tech problem we will someday have to face as our tech reaches the level of Santa Claus's. Well, and I think that that also, because one of the next questions I had was mapping. You know, I mean, having, whether you're working out of time or not, whether you've made things easier for you or not, you still want to not spend as much time doing the things you don't need to do. So you want to have an efficient mapping system. You want to have people prepping each house when you're going in there so that your time per house is reduced just because you got to deliver all these toys. So does that affect how someone would track weather or follow the jet streams or just have a general you know a a plan of attack when accomplishing this absolutely this is one of the the classic mathematical logistical problems it's it's traditionally called the traveling salesman problem which is the problem of if you have a set of destinations what is the fastest route or the shortest route to visit all them and it's actually a very difficult mathematical problem um, once you get to multiple points and so this once again just shows santa's incredibly advanced technology is that he has also probably solved this traveling salesman problem because he he must be taking the most efficient route because otherwise how would he be accomplishing what he's accomplishing and dan as as we're as you said already watch the first episode if you haven't because ben pointed out that Santa has to be a master of logistics and solving logistics problems to build all the toys in time that same crack team designing his logistics supply chain um, problem is probably solving the delivery chain problem. I, I guess that makes sense. So, uh, okay, okay, I, I can follow that. Um, but w- the next problem we have as humans trying to understand the Santa situation is how does he get into the houses? You know, in, in olden times, in the beginning of Santa's career, you know, he's looking at chimneys. A lot of people had chimneys. Chimneys have kind of gone out of fashion. And even people who have chimneys, they don't work. As a matter of fact, my grandmother had a chimney-shaped heater that as a child, I didn't even know wasn't a real chimney. <laughs> I thought it was, a, it was this little wall-mounted thing. I thought, I thought it was a chimney. And I realized we didn't have, you know, we didn't, I'm sorry, I thought it was a fireplace and realized we didn't have a chimney. Uh, but I thought that's how Santa was getting in for the longest time. But obviously he had a different plan. Uh, so I think getting in and out of the house, this is something, we, we got to figure this out. And I'm curious what you guys thought then and where were you with this well i think this is his biggest challenge um and you know i have some thoughts on relativistic ways bending space that maybe gets him into the house but this is the piece that started to lead me towards a more quantum mechanical understanding of 
Santa Claus himself. Because quantum mechanics is ultimately between the electrical magnetic forces of electrons at the surface and quantum um, principles of exclusion principles. These are the fundamental reasons matter doesn't go through itself. And I'm wondering if Santa has been able to achieve unique states of quantum manipulation that actually lets him just get right through the roof of the house. You know, he started with chimneys, you know, when he was young, um, and that was really matter manipulation at a size level. But I'm thinking there's a quantum technology here that we're not even dreaming of yet. Well, I think that I mean I think that that's a really interesting fact. I mean, you and I are kind of approaching this differently. I like the Santa as magician, the Occam's razor approach, you know, the simplest form, because I think that at least a couple of things have to be key that are key here. Is that I don't think that Santa runs around when he's on his ride. Maybe maybe you know when he's when he's at the mall, when he's you know doing his his PR work as Santa Claus. He's wearing the bright red suit and the bells and the hat. I think when he's on his ride, he's got to be stealth. I mean, I, I would not it would not be surprising to me if he was wearing an all black suit that you know had leather gloves. Um, you know, kind of like a cat burglar in reverse. Because instead of stealing something out of a house, he's trying to put stuff into a house. And I think that this this it makes having a prep and landing team critical because you got to be able to get in and out of the domicile very quickly. I mean, so people getting there on site, whether they're elves, robots, or or people, have to be telling Santa how to get in and out. And I think it might be more simple than quantum. I don't know. Ben, what do you think about that? I think the relativistic uh, Santa is actually kind of the answer because I think in reality what can happen is because he is so much faster than our normal perception of time, that he he can kind of just so there's there's two solutions either he comes down the chimney or he maybe he magics up a chimney but he, you know what he could also probably just come through the front door and just break in really quickly put the presents down and lock back up on his way out but because he's doing it in 200 micro, microseconds yeah, you don't you just don't know about it <laughs> Well, you know, I actually like that, and I like I'm going to step back from my quantum. I may come back to it later, but, you know, Dan, if I combine your stealth with Ben's comment about how fast he's doing and using relativity, um, those two could work together very nicely. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm throwing my vote maybe in that direction. Let me give you something else here. I mean, I think everyone, I mentioned it before, a visit from St. Nick. Um, this is this is the great Twas the Night Before Christmas it's sometimes referred to as. And there is a phrase in that that I think is, is going to give us a little bit of insight here. Let me read it to you. Laying his finger aside his nose, giving a nod, up the chimney he rose. Now, as a kid, I always thought it was put, placing his finger inside his nose. Always had a little bit of a laugh. Um, I don't do that anymore. But this is, I think, really key because putting your finger aside your nose, that's a signal, right? Is it levitation? Is the prep crew getting him in and out of the chimney? And I think what this is telling you is that there are people on the ground helping him in and out, whether they're giving him a house key or whatever. And I think that they're the ones who help him go in and out really quickly. And I think that that is a hidden meaning in that poem. I, I like where you went there, Dan. And I'm actually going to go back a step. The poem and um, everything else we see representing Santa has him having extra mass. And as we know, mass is what manipulates gravity and manipulates space and time. So right from the beginning, I think there was some minor manipulation going on even when he didn't need it at the level he needs now. Hmm. I think that that's very true. And when he's in the house, what is he, gonna, what is he doing? He's delivering presents. Well, how is he transporting these presents? There is this sack, this magical sack that he's pulling toys out of, all that. 
I'm going to, again, I'm going to pull back the curtain on that magic part because, in the again, a visit from St. Nick, if I may quote this one more time, when we see the sleigh, the sleigh is filled with toys. There isn't a sack. But this makes this begs the question, how is he pulling things in and out? How is it organized? How is he coordinating each individual present in his in his sack, on his sleigh, with the individual person that's in the house? Again, an extremely logical uh, logistics question here. Um, but I think... I don't think that there's this magical sack that has all the toys. It's not this endless, you know, quantum sack or whatever pocket universe. I think he has an incredible uh, resupplying system. I think that there are depots around the world, or he has people coming in and resupplying his sack with presents, along with a list of where they're all going at each leg of this, of each step, uh, each leg of this journey. I don't know if that's too analog. Maybe there's a more high tech version of that, but I don't think he at any point is carrying all the presents for the entire world in his sleigh or in his sack. That certainly simplifies things. It's, it would be a very difficult thing to have a, a sack that can hold enough, you know, presents for all 500 million children. He's giving presents to every night. I like this idea of the in-flight, uh, regifting, <laughs> Yeah, where there you, go. you know yeah. some elves are flying in with uh, the the regifting uh, sleigh yeah. and dumping a new sack every uh, couple of houses that he need that he needs them. You know, you know, gentlemen, I, I have to jump in here. You're, you're missing the obvious, Dan. You said Occam's razor earlier. The simplest solution is the best. We've cracked this problem before when we've discussed the Acme product catalog. Santa uses the portable hole. He's bought one. He has one. Problem solved. He's connected entirely the entire trip through a wormhole which is a uh, an acme portable hole at his end to the distribution center at the north pole or wherever it is as our previous you know enterprise says and he is literally getting one present at a time when he gets to the house he needs to he disguises it it's the magician thing he loves there's a few fake presents sitting in the sleigh to make us think he's carrying all of them but the sack is the acme portable hole i rest my case well and then that goes then back to this logistics this incredible logistics operation because that means there's elves at the warehouse who are keeping in sync with where he is and ready to hand off a, a new set of presents every 400 microseconds which is that is quite a feat yep and that's and that's why they're using the wormhole time technology everything is relativistic here and it's all tied together i mean it's very possible i mean i think that connecting each present to the list the naughty nice list which is which is key to this whole thing um, I, I, I mean, I guess if you're telling me it's possible, it, it might be. I like my resupplying route. Uh, I think that that, in truth, um, maybe, maybe it's a combination of the two. But, I mean, instantaneous present transportation is would solve every problem out there. Well, and again, what better use for Acme Portable Hole, Dan? than delivering presents at Christmas. I agree. And then you could have two portable holes because I was going to say, where's he getting the coal? You've got a portable hole for coal. Portable hole for coal. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I say. Um, now, I got to tell you, now before we go any further, I'm just going to tell you, because this may come up later, I don't personally believe in the magical sack of holding solution to all this. I really think that surprisingly, Santa is... In some ways, he's very advanced, and in other ways, he is very analog. I feel like he's got this kind of steampunky element to him. You know, there's this kind of highly advanced uh, analog technology. But let's talk about something really quickly before we get to the conclusion here, because I, I, I'm, I gotta state the obvious here. Santa is not in great condition, right? He's, and by any stretch of the imagination, he's morbidly obese. He seems to be in poor health, despite his jolly demeanor. He's, he's only eating milk and cookies on his journey. Some people leave vegetables out. Um, and we learned from a visit from St. Nick, this guy's also a smoker. 
I, I don't know how he's lived as long as he has or had this level of longevity, but I think Ernest Saves Christmas solves one of these problems, as do several others, but I believe that the Santa Claus mantle is passed on from person to person. In that movie, the Santa Claus was born in 1837, uh, the Santa Claus in Ernest Saves Christmas, and he took over for Santa in 1889, and in 1989, he is trying to find a new Santa. I think that this, these two factors, the smoking, uh, the bad diet, the, the him being out of shape, I think it makes something as physically strenuous as going around the world on a sleigh, delivering delivering presents at an at an almost impossible pace. I think it makes it improbable for to do it once, much less making it an annual affair. What do you think about that? Well, I do I do agree, Dan, that you know most of our documentaries of Santa do show this transfer of the mantle from one Santa to the next. Um, the Santa Claus being one of my favorite. Um, you know, unfortunately, that's it's a little dark um, um, how it happens because um, Calvin does kind of cause Santa to fall off the roof, which is how the mantle pants is in that one. But look, there are a lot of risks to delivering the presents in, in a night. I mean, many opportunities. And, you know, in that one, Scott Calvin does pay a lot of attention to the safety features um, that he wants to institute to protect himself. So the passing of the mantle of Santa Claus makes a lot of sense to me. And it's kind of consistent with our understanding and evolution that his look over time has changed. And that could be that as you you take over that mantle, you, you actually put your own spin on it. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. I, I didn't think about that. But I mean, it definitely it definitely answers the longevity question, which I think, at least to me, was one of the kind of the elephants in the room when it comes to Santa. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like Santa does not live as long as, say, the elf. So we see in the Santa Claus that the elves are, you know, thousands of years old, but the Santas seem to refresh rather often. So it definitely seems like Santa has the Santa's expire rather quickly due to the strain of their their work whereas the elves have quite have a much easier job back at the pole i mean they're surprisingly disposable in the santa claus i was very yeah. shocked at that at that point i mean it's really they go through santas very quickly um almost that the the job itself is bigger and greater than any individual santa that's ever held the mantle oh i i would agree with that dan i mean i think that's an accurate description well, now let's talk. We've got we've got a lot of information here, and I think in order to really bring this home, we got to talk about a unified theory of Santa. I know I have my part to this, but Ben, I want you to add the physics part of this first. I think what I like as an engineer is the heavily logisticized version of Santa, which is he's got caches of presents all over the world. The prep and landing. Not only are they prepping the houses and you know picking the locks so he can get in really quick in case there isn't a chimney. But they're also throwing stashes of presents at every, you know, 100 houses. So every time he runs out of presents, he just picks up the next sack and keeps going. You know, it's, it's just one big, big distributed problem that he does with the help of thousands and millions of elves. Well, I got to tell you, I, I love that explanation. And I'm going to go a little step further because I'm going to postulate what I'm going to call the multiple Santa theory. And I, I'm going to say that I don't believe that this can be one man. I think that it is physically impossible for Santa to be one person. I think that this, this is either a business that is passed down, um, you know, it's got many corporate entities, or there's a possible cloning element here. Are there multiple genetically identical Santas that go around? Or is there a network, as I mentioned in the previous episode, he is very charismatic. Is there a group? 
group, a cult of Santa, if you will, that goes around acting um, as Santa. So each one is in a different sleigh, covering a different part of the world. I think this is part of it. If you look at, at Ernest Saves Christmas, Santa's looking for his replacement, maybe the leader of that organization in the Santa Claus. It's a business card. But I really think that there's a team of people, large family clones. I think that's where we're going with this. Because also, when you look at the at the world, we've got lots of ethnicities across the world. And in most, in most cultural groups, the Santa Claus that delivers presents to that cultural group is a member of that cultural group, which would imply that there are members, there are Santa proxies in each from each cultural the group across the entire world and that explain this really explains the the appearance of speed the near, numerous appearances he has to make in different malls where he collects his data for that naughty and nice list um, and, and I think you know at the end of the Santa Claus you'll notice that Charlie says the little kid he says I'm going to go into the family business right and I think that that tells you there's something going on here. And I'm going to mention one other quick thing here. There's a slight, albeit very improbable, possibility that Santa is, in fact, an alien. Then, and you know about ancient aliens. When you look at alien abductions, there's a lot of missing time. Um, the propulsion of these alien craft alter time and, and move you very quickly. Is that possible? I don't, think it's, I don't think that's what's going on here, but it's definitely something to think about. I don't know. What do you think about that, Denon? You know, Dan, it's taking us in an interesting direction. As I said, um, I'm on record as solving all of Santa's technology through relativity and particularly general relativity. I'm going to take your multiple Santa theory and actually take it one level up in the quantum world. And basically, it comes down to this. In quantum mechanics, we know particles are either fermions or bosons. Fermions can't be in the same state. Bosons can. It gives us really cool stuff like superconductors and superfluids. There are these quantum coherent states. I think there may be a few Santas out there. As you said, there's the different cultural representations. But in any given giant collection, it is a quantum coherent state of a single Santa. What does that mean in practical terms for the layperson? That means Santa can be in way more places at a single time than you would ever think. It's all the same Santa, all in different places, all doing the same coherent thing. Hence, the focus on a single set of toys that are a major gift at any given Christmas. So you have a few Santas out there, one for each toy, one for each culture. They simultaneously, through a quantum coherent state, are delivering their presence, and that solves so many of these issues detailed calculations to follow in a future year when I have some spare time. Well, I got to tell you, our present to the world is explaining Santa, because I think that that wrapped it up, no pun intended, very nicely. Uh, so now we've reached our errors, additions, and omissions section, things we didn't talk about, which I can't believe is anything. Um, wh what did we have here? Denon, do you have anything from the delivery aspect of Santa's journey? Well, I just will say, in the documentary Santa Claus, I think there's a lot of fun elements of the safety features. We've mentioned them briefly, but particularly in this concept of a Santa taking over the Santa mantle as you pass from one Santa to another, it is scary to think about it happening through these accidental deaths. And I like that Scott Calvin's very concerned about that. In our era of worker safety, it makes sense. It may not have been as big a concern in the past Santas. I think that that's probably true, especially in the 1800s. Um, ben, what did you think? Do you have anything from this section? Well, yeah, I what I like about uh, the Santa Claus is it teaches us, well, the first lesson it teaches us is always read the fine print. You know, never... Uh, <laughs> You know, if you get a business card, you know, read everything on it. That's for that's for sure. Uh, the other thing I really liked is it is the power of the reindeer that it showed off. Is that it really seemed like the reindeer, at least on Calvin's first uh, night as Santa, 
it really the reindeer were doing all the work and doing like the winks and stuff to make the magic happen so i like the idea that it's actually the reindeer doing all the work and santa's just a figurehead i, I kind of like that too that's a really cool idea you know one of the things we didn't talk about were the sheer number of letters that get sent to santa again part of this this matrix of surveillance i think when we, it, this is almost the analog version of facebook right you're you're supplying this information to to santa and he's using it to give you great gifts uh, i i think that that's you know we we didn't talk about that, but the sheer volume of that, that level of fan mail is almost incomprehensible. Uh, any celebrity, I think, would be excited to receive that many letters. Okay, but if, if we've missed anything, if there's, if there's uh, you know, something you want to talk about, if there's something more about Santa you want to talk about, or if there's a whole nother topic of conversation you want to get into, you can suggest it for the show. And the best way to do that on social media, you can find the show on Twitter, at Pod on Facebook, at FGGBT, but you can get in touch with us individually. Dennett. Where can people find you? Well, people can find me at Instagram or Twitter. Just flip my name. It's at Denon Michael. And then on Facebook, you have to stick in Prof. It's at Prof Denon Michael. And Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? B S I E P S E R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. So again, I don't think we're ever going to know all of the trade secrets behind Santa Claus. I think that they're they're locked up tighter than Fort Knox, and I believe that it is this this fact that is what that is the true magic of Christmas. I mean, despite our best efforts, I don't even think we've come close to explaining what's really going on. But if you out there, if you think you have in fact cracked the code on Santa, you want to be very careful with that information. Be responsible. Just like Santa, you want to be a superhero and not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. That's fgbt.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening